Welcome to Conversations in Equine Science. My name is Kate Acton and I'm joined by Nancy McLean and this is the podcast where we take equine research and try and make it accessible to horse owners and enthusiasts alike. Remember that with each topic we discuss it's important to get professional advice before implementing any of the strategies. This week, Nancy and I are discussing a paper titled Animals in Flow Towards the Scientific Study of Intrinsic Rewards in Animals. And this paper is written by Sarah Hintz and Jason Orr Yee. And the concept of flow, they outline, is a state of complete absorption in a rewarding activity. And it plays a pivotal role in advancing the notions of human well-being beyond minimizing suffering towards promoting humans actually flourishing and thriving. And I think thriving is a popular word that's used quite a bit nowadays. Um, While flow has played a fundamental role in human positive psychology, it's not really been explored in non-human animals. So this leaves an enormous void in our understanding of what intrinsically motivates animals. So the paper starts by embedding flow in the topic of intrinsic motivation and describes its impact on positive human psychology and its potential positive impact on animal welfare. And then they derive the experimental approaches in animals using characteristics of flow that's already present in humans and providing guidelines for both inducing and assessing these states of flow by focusing on two characteristics. So with animals, what we're focusing on to see if the animal is completely absorbed in the activity is whether they have a resistance to distraction and something that's called time distortion. So not all aspects of human flow experience are translatable, um, certainly not as of yet, but those that are could play a really important role in improving the quality of life in captive non-human animals. And it's definitely something that we can begin to utilize or observe at least in horses. Yeah, I always think that we see horses in their zone when they're turned out together and they're playing, they're running. Uh, Mike Elding's doing the halter tag. I mean, you could probably fly a drone over them when they're doing halter tag and they won't really notice it. They're (laughs) grossed and tearing those halters off each other's heads. So, um, you know, and I I think with humans, we see um, people getting in the zone, even just taking care of their horses. Um, How many times do people say time stands still when they're in the barn they don't even look at their watch or look at their clock and I know there's a lot of people that feel that way playing golf or reading um, you know doing something that they just thoroughly enjoy where where time really doesn't matter so um, I think and it's almost that the activity is the reward itself because I I thought the same when it comes to humans, like the activity of reading, you feel rewarded afterwards, but you haven't 
received anything tangible from it other than the information you're taking in but it's the process of the actual activity and um, and to me that's what kind of really clicked with what flow is or you know even people will say with playing golf they can go and enjoy hours and hours of golf without necessarily having good scores or you know doing particularly well in it it doesn't have to have that tangible reward attached to it you could get lost in things like knitting or crochet I know at the end you would have a physical well you may if you're good at it you'll have a physical thing but it's in that moment of actually doing it that rewards and I think we use the term self-care a lot now I think it's something we've become really mindful of since COVID and we do all these little almost like rituals now of self-care for ourselves, and it's taking time to do things we enjoy so I found that fascinating that that carries over because I thought that that was a concept that wouldn't really apply so much to animals because we don't think of animals as having hobbies or having extracurriculars that they're going to do and get that sense of joy out of but as you explained you know, their play and their interactions and even the work that they do, whether it's in the arena or whether they're at shows or they're competing, that can all bring them into a state of flow. Yeah. And sometimes when you see a horse being distracted easily, I think it can not only mean that they're not in the flow or in their zone, but they could also be in pain. So I think what interested me about this research was that so much of the time we focus on the ethogram of the ridden horse that deals more with pain and the horse being uncomfortable. And this research deals with looking for the horse, um, having enjoyment or really um, being attracted to the activity they're doing. And I tell you what, I think I see that in racing quite a bit on our better um, runners in that they love to train, they their heart goes into it every day. And when it's race day, they know it. They know it because of the routine changes slightly. Mm -hmm. And they're all on it. They're, they look like they've had a pot of coffee with their... <laughs> They're all alert and, you know, there's a certain step they have when they head back to the barn. There's also a certain demeanor and body carriage when you take them to the test barn because they won a race. And then when you walk into the barn, there are horses that actually nicker to welcome that horse back into the shed row. And it's almost like they know that horse did something that day. And I know it sounds crazy, but I hear this and I've seen it over and over where um, there are horses that are all about their racing career. And there's also some that aren't so much. So then um, the key is to find a second career for them that they can be good at and want to be to be good at. And um, I think that's maybe a part of horse management that sometimes is kind of overlooked, but I think we're getting more aware that that type of personalities do exist. 
I think you're absolutely right because in this they say that there has to be a matching of skill involved and challenge for the animal to reach flow so in the example you were giving of your geldings doing the halter chasing you know there is a skill and there is a challenge there they need to try and catch the halter they need to be skilled in the way they move to achieve it but when you talked about um racing and that kind of purpose i've seen that in dogs um one dog in particular that we had that came into practice that was a police dog and i don't know if i mentioned this on the podcast before it may have come up in another but she was a cash and firearms dog so that's what was her skill sniffing out cash and firearms and she was really really sick and we had her for probably two weeks and um, and it was very touch and go whether she was going to make it and her handler would come and visit her every day and she would just light up when she would see her handler and we actually chatted with the handler about giving her some tasks to do so in the end we ended up hiding cash and um, around one of the rooms in the hospital and then brought her in and she was allowed to go and seek it and it just brought a light back into her because that was her purpose and that was something she did every day and she enjoyed so much and we weren't even rewarding her at that point because of what she was ill with we couldn't give her treats um and she just her face just lit up every time that she got it right that was the reward was the challenge that's amazing and they had um you know they say that if your challenge is high but your skill set is lower then you're going to be frustrated and that can even uh, be classified as depressed because you can't complete that challenge. Now that's in humans. So, you know, they're trying to come up with research that could also measure this in horses or dogs. And then when the challenge is too low and the skill set is high, they're also bored. How often maybe do we do that with our horses where, uh, we, you know, we're not challenging them enough or raising the bar because we can get kind of, um, I don't know, stuck in the mud or stuck in a rut with our routine and you need to bump something up. So, but not so high that the horse can't achieve it so that just straight away makes me think of young kids in school yeah. because the curriculum is set at the middle for achieving flow but those that are struggling get lost and they feel like they're not capable and that has a knock-on effect and then those high achievers aren't challenged and that has a knock-on effect um, definitely not something we'll be able to solve on the podcast but yeah. just as you described that there Nancy I was like that exactly describes what it's like for a lot of people in education and I think sometimes uh, like kids our horses act up when they're not being challenged enough mm -hmm. and I almost look at challenge and skill they all almost need to chase one another so when you bump the skill set up um, you have to raise that challenge too. And when you raise the challenge, you have to bump that skill set up. So it, it's, a, you know, kind of a balancing act. And if we could look at our horse training like that, 
it, it may make a difference in our own human psychology because how often I look at muscle response, cardiovascular response, and it's all a part of this. But if I look at it as challenge and skill chasing one another, I may not bump things up so quickly. I may, I have to allow skill to catch up with challenge and challenge to catch up with skill. So um, it's just a different way of looking at things. And sometimes having that different way uh, to look at things, it makes you more creative. That's actually very interesting as well, because I think particularly if you're not advanced in horse training or if you're newer to it, certainly you'll find a rhythm that works for your horse with training them. And you tend to just stick with that and not advance it. You're like, look, this gets me the outcome I want. This is enough for them to meet this need for rising or for jumping or for cross country or hacking or whatever I'm using them for. But you're not pushing them because I think sometimes we only associate raising the level of challenge with preparing for competition or, you know, there's to us there's a reward like we need them to win something so we're going to keep upping this challenge but in training itself even for cardiovascular health as you mentioned or for changes in muscle growth we need progressive overload so each week or each number of weeks we need to be kind of increasing that challenge to be able to get them to grow and I think this actually ties in with that chronic workload ratio podcast we did which talks about how much um work a horse does in a week versus in a month looking at that breakdown so that's an interesting one if any of you haven't had a listen to it yet I would definitely recommend that episode but I think it's an easy place for us to get stuck and not to advance with our horses yeah and also um looking at herd dynamics um, sometimes there can be a challenge come into a herd and you might only get a couple horses respond to that challenge. But I had something happen a couple weeks ago where a pack of coyotes came into my pasture and it was uh, so unusual that, you know, four coyotes during the daytime would enter, enter into the horse's pasture and they all found kind of came together to look like a huge mass and they ran to their lean to or their overhang and they kind of reorganized there and then they came out as one herd so close together we're talking almost touching one another and went and chased those coyotes out of the pasture they were in the flow they all they were honed in was on those coyotes and it was so neat to see even people going by later on that day stopped and told me what they they had seen and I thought I watched it I almost went out there to take care of things myself but I didn't need to the horses uh, they took care of it and it was kind of neat to see them become one unit instead of just a herd of individual horses and seeing that they have that innate sense to behave that way still 
Yeah, yeah, and it was good exercise for them, and they look like fighter jets, you know, when they fly off. Yes, in formation. I was just like, oh my gosh, they are doing their job, and I can't imagine seeing that in a wild herd, because it must be amazing, because this was in just a 10 acre pasture. I can't imagine watching that happening like in Montana or something where you have, you know, hundreds of horses coming together to, to uh, head on out. And it was really amazing. At first they ran away from them, but they went to a place of safety, regrouped and then came out again. It, It was really pretty. And have you ever tested flow in your herd, Nancy? Um, you know, I yesterday I wanted to kind of come up with something that would, um, you know, be a novel object in their paddock. So I have a pasture and then I have a pea gravel paddock. It's not fen- fenced in. And I wanted to do some ground pole work with uh, some of the horses and I couldn't use my arena. We've had a lot of uh, rain and water. Uh, So I thought, well, I'll just do it in that paddock. It'll be good footing for them and I just won't overdo it. And so I put ground poles out there. Well, they were way out at the other end of the pasture and they saw me setting things up and it was a big deal. They all came in. Um, they watched me work some of the horses. And then the one horse that I didn't even intend to work with him, he's the weaver. He has um, stereotypical behavior in that he weaves in his stall when he's waiting to be turned out. And, um, you know, I did not go up to him, but when I was done with the oldest horse, He came up and he went through the same pattern over those ground poles that I had just went through with the oldest mare. And, you know, I figured he was telling me he wanted to do something, too. It's been a long winter. So I hooked him up and put him through the patterns and all that and uh, rewarded him. But, you know, I think he was in the flow. He's very um, easily distracted and um you know he was totally oblivious to anything except doing those ground poles but it was a novel condition I don't know if I would get that same focus if I did it again today I would probably have to up something like maybe raise them a little bit um, maybe do a different pattern um you know he's a a smart horse and he's got that pattern propensity that stereotypical behaviors seem to induce. So um, I definitely, you know, thought I saw it yesterday in him. Now the others, I had to all go and get them to come in and do a little work. And um, he, he said, no, he didn't give me that choice. He jumped right in there and <laughs> doing the patterns. So uh, kind of tells me he likes to be worked with. And so many thoroughbreds that are on the track, they like routine, they like patterns, they like to be used. Yeah, and I think they feel probably a sense of lacking, if especially if they abruptly go 
from training to not training. And that's definitely something we can think of when they suffer injuries. So maybe there are ways we can induce flow um, when we've got animals that are recovering too from racetrack injuries or that are signed off from being able to do training or do any workloads. That's true, Kate. That's a good point. I never thought of that because so many times horses that get injured become depressed or they have their head in the corner at the track and it's because they're not being sent out to gallop in the mornings. They're off the routine and they get attention, but sometimes depending on the extent of the injury, they might not be able to come out of that stall. So there's got to be ways to um, kind of, um, I don't know, challenge them during, through injuries. I, I know stall rest is tough and um, they had a thing in here that they challenged pigs with olfactory uh, scents and they had these openings where the pigs could put their nose in and smell different odors. And they kind of correlated it to the mole game that humans do where you have a hammer and the mole comes up out of the hole and you try to, to hit the mole. And they would puff those odors through those holes and those pigs would get so excited and not even look for a treat. So when you can focus a pig like that and treats don't even matter, I think I would consider that pig was in the flow. But, you know, if they can do that for pigs, I think there's got to be certain flow exercises we could come up with for horses that are stall bound. Definitely, because I think, well, I know that pigs are actually cognitively a little bit ahead of dogs. I believe um, they have roughly the cognitive ability of a three-year-old child, which if you talk to a three-year-old child, you realize that's fairly vast, like their or their ability to think, you know, not necessarily their comprehension, um, but their inquisitiveness. And they've definitely in the past taught pigs how to play video games, but that was linked through, they used their mouth on um, a stick to do, it was almost like a, simplified pac-man game to get through a maze and when they completed a level a treat did come out so that's not flow that's they were doing it for that specific tangible reward and um, and that can very much influence it but I think there must be ideas we could come up with and research for what we could include for horses I know when we put dogs on cage rest we include and um, we always say to owners to put in toys um, change the way you feed them so they're don't feed them in a bowl anymore feed them in snuffle mats or stuffed kong toys things that get them to kind of work and use their brain because mental energy has an expenditure and brain really does tax you in a different way than using your body um so i think that's really important it's something as well in geriatric horses, that's really important too, because they might not be able to do the same work. And again, that kind of ties in with injured horses, but they still need that mental stimulation. The way we would 
explain that you could do that in dogs as an example is you know your dog might have been really fit and used to go for hikes with you or used to always run along the beach and um, now that they're older they can't go for a very far walk but bring them somewhere novel so there's a lot of sense you know you're now going to a forest area instead the next time you'll go to the beach and it just works the brain that bit more and tires them out so it's interesting it's not something I thought because the idea just kind of came to me as we were doing the podcast so it's not something I've thought of enough to think how we can implement that with horses yeah, I just think this has got such a future in research because I think being able to translate uh, the concept of flow and intrinsic motivation to other animals, and in my instance, you know, uh, horses, dogs, even cats, um, just to kind of play with to try and find that focus and in the zone. Tell you what, my cats get into flow when they're mole hunting you mm-hmm. you can rattle a treat bag or they're out in the field and you just see them staring at the ground nothing is going to distract them and um, I think it, it could be the same way with um, the horses and certainly the dog as well because mm-hmm. our dog you just um, give her a new toy or a chew toy and that's it. She's all about that. So uh, it's really interesting. I, I, you know, kind of at the zoo, we would have called it uh, maybe enrichment back in the day. But this is going a little step further. This is actually um, seeing them in the zone where nothing else matters. And uh, I think it's uh, really, really interesting and to try and recognize that in our horses when we're riding or training or managing them I think it can only help um, you know with their welfare and benefit their welfare overall and ours too yeah and I think it's as you said enriching their environment but to take their environment you know from not just meeting the basic needs of what a horse needs to you know, be fulfilled or maybe thrive, but trying to elevate that positive well-being for them and take it just that little step further. Yep, I couldn't agree more, Kate. And this is an open access paper. So I thought it was somewhat of an easy read. I had to look up a few terms. But other than that, um, it was really interesting from the human uh, point of view and then to think about ways you could apply it to horses. So um, I'll put a link on our homepage and any comments or questions, um, you can get a hold of Kate via Instagram or you can put it on our homepage or uh, through the Facebook page too. And uh, we'll go ahead and uh, read your comment and talk about it on the next podcast. Brilliant. So we'll see you all again next week. Okay. Thanks, Kate. Thanks, Nancy. Take care. You too. Bye-bye.